Let's pray. We thank you, God, that you love us all. You love us all so much that you want us to make our decision to love you back. Thank you for this wonderful sign and symbol of your love that you've given us in the Eucharist. And we pray that we would be able to learn some more about you today. And we ask these things in the name of the one who stands at the door and knocks, Jesus Christ. Amen. So um, just before I go any further, there, there are some medical people here today, aren't there? Because uh, a bit of the stage has been taken off and I just know I'm going to fall off it. <laughs> so so if, I, if I start going really close, can, can you? Yeah, thanks. I'll try not to roam around too much. So the Eucharist is a sign and a foretaste of heaven. Jesus says, if you hear my voice and open the door, I'll come and eat with you and you with me. Now, I don't know about any of you, but some of the best times of my life have been spent around a table eating with friends. I wonder if any of you can think of a great meal you've had recently or ages ago. I wonder who was there, what you were eating, and where you were. Now, Will and I went to a very special meal when we were visiting some friends in Brooklyn. One of our friends works at this church. It's called St. Lydia's. It's in a suburb in Brooklyn. They meet in a little shopfront area, and um, it, it's a very diverse area of Brooklyn. And they do something called dinner church every Sunday early evening. So when you arrive, you get given a little label. You have to write your name on there, and then you get given a job and you get made to set the tables and set everything up. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, we had to go down into the basement and fish out a bunch of dusty old chairs, and it was just great to work with people. So you didn't have any of that small talk stuff that you have to do sometimes with people you've just met. And quite a few people in that community have, have learning disabilities, and they are generally the ones that tell people what to do. So that was, it was great fun. When we'd set up this lovely table, we um, had a simple Eucharist together, just standing up in the kitchen, basically, standing in a circle together, using the bread and wine that we were going to consume in the meal later. And then we sat down to eat. Now, the less I say about the food, the better. <laughs> it wasn't a great Sunday, apparently. The person who was cooking was vegan and couldn't tolerate any lactose and obviously couldn't tolerate any discernible taste either. So we had this, this clear broth with beans in it and some kale. It was pretty grim. Um, but the bread was nice and the company was wonderful. So, and during the meal, we had readings um, from the Bible, some poetry and a short talk and even some circle dancing. That was fun. Will was very good. I won't, I won't tell you how good I was. Um, despite the food, St. Lydia's to me was a taste of heaven. All were welcome. All were accepted. We were worshipping the same God together around the table, even if we didn't agree with each other on some things. Heaven is often described like a, like a banquet. Jesus used this metaphor a lot. 
in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 22, he tells the story of the king who invites everyone to a banquet, but all the people who'd been invited couldn't come because of random rubbish excuses. And he ends up inviting anybody to come. It's really important to have the right people at your meal, isn't it? People who get on well together. I wonder if you could choose who you would have for your fantasy dinner party. If it could be anybody at any time in the world, including like friend, Fred Flintstone type of people. Yeah. I wonder if you've ever thought about that. Who would you have at your table and why? Well, we have a promise that we all can feast in the presence of the best dinner guest ever. Jesus says in our passage that if we hear his voice and open the door, he will come in and eat with us and we can eat with him. We're not just going to be his servants. He's not just going to wash our feet. We're going to eat together. And I wonder what we'd talk about. I wonder what the conversation would be like around that table with somebody who knows you and knows every thought you've ever had. Oh my goodness. But this meal of the Eucharist is a sign and a foretaste of that heavenly meal we're going to have with Jesus. If we could have the next slide. But really, when we're honest with ourselves, what do we really believe about heaven? Is it a bunch of puffy clouds with angels and harps and singing ever, forevermore? Oh my gosh, please no. I mean, you're great. But, oh, yeah. Um, is it a bunch of very Caucasian, slightly metrosexual looking angels riding around on unicorns? I don't know. Is it pearly gates with a massive big lock and key with St. Peter looking grumpy outside saying that you're not good enough? Or is it a throne room with God sitting on a throne and you don't exactly know what God looks like judging everybody? Well, you know, if anybody ever tells you that they know what heaven looks like, you have my permission to doubt them and doubt their sanity. Because the only human who has ever known that was Jesus, and he only ever spoke of heaven in metaphor and story, because he knew that we, we'd never be able to grasp it, like that parable of the banquet. If we could have the next slide. But we do read some things about heaven in the Bible. There does seem to be some place where God dwells. And in the Old Testament, that place seemed to be in the temple, in the Holy of Holies, in that tiny little area where only one priest could go every once a year and oh, he had to have a rope tied around his ankle or something in case he died. But we know what happened to the veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple. After Jesus died, that got ripped so that thick, massive veil that separated heaven on earth with the rest of earth was no longer. I mean, they must have had another one somewhere, but yeah. Yeah, the, the, the thing was, heaven was in earth. We need to think of when heaven is as well. We sometimes have this idea of heaven as something that will happen in the future, but Jesus said to the thief on the cross, didn't he? 
that you're going to be in paradise with me today, now. So maybe heaven is now. But of course we know we are not living in a perfect world. There's sorrow and sadness and death. And many people here have lost people who are close to them. And things are not perfect in their families. Jesus' life and the life of the church show us as well that sorrow and suffering are part of life. Jesus didn't have the perfect end, did he? He suffered. But Jesus' life also showed us that it is possible to live as though heaven is on earth. Live a perfect life. Live as though the kingdom has already come. At our Monday evening prayer meeting, we prayed that God's kingdom would come in our town. And it was really moving. And then later, Elizabeth Lockwood reminded us of all the ways that God's kingdom has come in our town already. So the kingdom has come and it's not quite come. This is one of Christianity's huge paradoxes. The kingdom of heaven is both here and sometime in the future. Now, I don't know how rebellious you feel today. You're all rebels. If you're a Christian, you are a rebel. We should be the ultimate rebels if we believe in heaven. Paula Gooder, in her excellent book, Heaven, says that believing in heaven is the ultimate rebellion against the idea that this world is all there is. It allows us to catch a glimpse of the world as it should be. A world shaped by a God of absolute righteousness, justice and mercy. This world is not something temporary that we just cast off, but something eternal and beautiful. Something eternal and beautiful. Because we believe in heaven. And the Eucharist is a sign and foretaste of this heaven. We celebrate the Eucharist because it is great. Now, I don't know what you like about the Eucharist, about communion. It would be a good thing to talk about in small groups or on your own. Do you like the food? I've not yet met anybody who really likes communion wafers or bits of bread that somebody's mauled um, or really the wine that we use here. Though we did have somebody come in once and ask us what wine we used because he wanted to buy a case. So whatever, we're all different. Um, <laughs> so there's, there's something going on there, though. I wonder if you enjoy it because of the wonderful words or the people who were there. I wonder if there are things about communion, about the Eucharist, that you would like to see changed. We'd be interested in hearing from you if that's true. You could, um, you could contact us on Facebook if you want to, or the old-fashioned way, by email, or you could even tell somebody. Um, there are, though, a couple of elephants in the room that I want to address. Um, just little elephants. That's, yeah, I've had a couple of conversations this week about this, and I, I thought I'd just quickly mention it. You know, we've been talking about the Eucharist and saying how important it is for the past four weeks, and we're not doing it. That, that is a possible elephant. It's a, it's a strange thing, isn't it? If it's that important, why do we only do it once a month here? There are some churches where you only take communion twice a year, 
because they think it's so important that you need to actually prepare for it for six months. And you, everybody who takes communion has to go to confession and get a little card. I know about, I know about this because my mum used to go to a church like that. But, I mean, there are, there are other options of going to the Eucharist if you really want to. There's, there's a nine o'clock service every week here and also a lovely midweek Thursday morning Eucharist. I know it's not always possible for people, but that is a bit of an elephant for me sometimes in this service. If it's so important, why are we not doing it? And the second elephant would be, why can only certain people celebrate the Eucharist? Why does this bit of plastic seem to make somebody magic? Actually, I am not magic, and I never will be. I'm not a priest yet. <laughs> um, Danny isn't here, but I, I, would, I would be... A, is he perfect? No? I won't ask Deb if he, Deb's if he's got magic hands, because that could go to the wrong place. But no, this is not Hogwarts. It isn't. People don't change into magic people who can do stuff and change the nature of bread. What it is, is reverence. And I don't know if you know this, but the Church of England is incredibly broad and wide and quite weird, to be honest, because it's the same church, but on many, many different types of worship and people who understand very different things about what the Eucharist might be. Um, I know some people, some churches where um, it, the Eucharist is a little bit like chips. So you have it with everything. Whatever, whenever you have a service, you have the Eucharist because it is so important. And um, it is, it's treated with great reverence and solemnity. And I also know of some other churches in the Church of England where um, bread and wine gets put on a windowsill and you can go and have it when you want. <laughs> yeah, we're all different. But what we are is trying to be kind and reverent and respectful of each other. And sometimes that means some compromise. And yeah, Danny and Sue and I are not particularly magic people. No, not magic at all. No, though that would be amazing. Um, but there is something about being set aside and having certain people who do things. Like you wouldn't want to um, go down to Dylan's and ask Ben to take your teeth out. You go to a dentist. I don't know if that's a very good analogy. But um, yeah, anyway, we can move on from the elephants. Um, Jesus says that we need to listen. We need to hear and we need to open the door. Three things we, we need to do in order to get this sign and foretaste of heaven. Now, hearing is a physical thing. Sounds coming into our eardrums and we can actually somehow hear them. Now, I have to admit, I've never heard an audible voice from God, but I know that some people do. I've heard that some people do. But we can all get ourselves to a place where we're more likely to hear God. Church might be one place. The prayer room might be one place. Maybe the chancel area might be one place for some people. Some people describe thin places, places where heaven seems to be closer to earth. Maybe it's just a place that you like, 
like a beach that you love or your garden or a national trust place, something like that. Where do you feel closest to God? Where do you feel like you might hear God? Now that's hearing, but listening is different. Listening suggests attention, suggests that we're actually actively involved in a process. I wonder if you've ever had the privilege of really being listened to. Someone who's a good listener can hear things that you haven't actually said in words. It can be a wonderful thing. It can be a little bit disturbing. But good listening is a skill like any, and it needs to be cultivated and practiced. A good interviewer has this capacity in spades. Will and I like watching Graham Norton because he seems to be able to make anybody feel comfortable. Apart from, I think, one dreadful incident with Meg Ryan when she just was not playing ball. But he's, he's normally very, very good. But, yeah, we listen to God in many ways, together and alone. And there are lots of different examples of, of prayer in St. Stephen's. Centering prayer, prayer of silence, our, our pr parish prayers once a month. And sometimes we just need to sit in God's presence. We also listen to God in our daily lives. I want to share something a bit scary with you. I was at an exercise class on Friday. That's not the scary bit, though it was quite scary. It was a class called Body Attack, which is a terrible name. Um, so uh, the teacher has, has told people for a long time that she's got a problem with her ankle. And it's really difficult for her because she teaches all sorts of aerobics and different things that require an ankle to be in, in working order. And about halfway through this class, I started thinking, oh no, oh no, I have to, I have to go and pray for this lady. I really don't want to. Oh my God. I, I, that's not the kind of thing I normally do. And I see this lady at least once a week, sometimes twice. So if it doesn't work, I was thinking, I'm going to have to pray for her twice a week. Oh my gosh. But thankfully, Louise Yegnazar goes to that class as well. And I went over to see her in the, in the break, and um, she had also heard the same thing. I was like, oh no. Oh no, we're going to have to do this. Um, so we went to talk to Helen afterwards, and um, yeah, she was fine with us praying for her. By the way, I have not known anybody say no if I've asked to pray for them. It's, it's always been me that's been the limiting factor. Um, I'd love to tell you that her ankle mended and it was all incredible and, and she was leaping and jumping. It didn't quite happen, but um, she was so thankful and she was obviously very, very um, emotionally affected by, by what we did. And we will pray for her again. But that's the thing, listening to God and doing something about it. And I mean, I can't tell you how scary that was because this is not my natural, my natural thing at all. Um, but we need to do something, don't we, when we listen and, and hear something. And this is about opening the door. Of course, in this picture, there is no handle on the outside of the door. So the person inside has to do something. We have to open the door and invite him in. He's not going to break the door down. Another of the great truths of Christianity is that God loves everybody, everybody in the world, but he gives us all the choice 
whether or not we let him in. And sometimes this choice has to be made again and again. He gives us all the choice whether or not we're going to worship him, whether or not we're going to see, choose to see the sign and the foretaste of heaven that we have in the Eucharist. Because the Eucharist is a sign and a foretaste of heaven, that dinner church at St. Lydia's gave us a little taste of what heaven might be like. All are welcome. All have the capacity to choose whether or not they engage. Heaven may be impossible to know fully now, but we can have some good ideas of what it might be like. We look at Jesus and we see somebody fully engaged with heaven. We see glimpses of God's kingdom coming around us. All we need to do in order to engage with heaven is to open the door to Jesus. He is there, knocking and waiting for us. Can you hear him? Are you listening? Are you ready for the best dinner guest in the world? Amen.